Well, go ahead and open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. And as you do, I think it's appropriate to say, let's all take a a deep breath this morning. Just a a deep breath because it has been some kind of week, regardless of what side of the aisle you sit. Has it not? It has been one of those weeks that we will never forget. It will go down in, in history as just one of those weeks. And, and one thing that I have been reminded of this week is the further evidence for we as Christians to be able to think, act, and react biblically in the world around us. Because far too many professing Christians should have hit delete um, on their social media posts before posting them this week. And far too many professing Christians should have closed their mouth before engaging in some conversations that they had this week. We were far too quick to speak and not too quick to listen um, in, in many cases. Much of the engagement I have seen from all sides is not rooted in biblical truth. It's not in grace. It's not in love. It's more centered around an argument of I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm not going to listen to anybody who thinks differently than me. And That's not Christian, regardless of what side you're on. President Obama made a statement on Wednesday in an attempt to unify that we are all on the same team. We we are not Democrats first. We are not Republicans first. We are Americans first. We are patriots first. And from a secular worldview standpoint, I would agree with the president here and appreciate the intent behind his words. But from a biblical worldview standpoint, Thinking at the world biblically, we are not Democrats, Republicans, Americans, or patriots first. If we are in Christ, we are Christians first. And thus, we are called as Christians to a higher standard. We are to live our lives through the lens of Scripture in everything that we do or say. And over the next two weeks, we we are going to, to look a bit closer at what it means for us to truly be alive in Christ. So you can kind of look at today, even though we're in Colossians, we're continuing through Colossians, you can look at today as part one of a, part, of a two-part message that we're going to be looking at of what it means to be alive in Christ, what, what are, how our lives are to be different from the world around us, how we are to be salt and light in, in the world around us. So open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Therefore, and always remember, when you see the therefore, you want to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? All right? And it's pointing us to what has come before. So therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them them in him. 
Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to these things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Again, there's a lot here, isn't there? And we're going to do our best to kind of tackle this this morning. And there are three reminders that we're specifically going to look at from these verses today. But as we do, we need to remember who Paul's writing to. Paul's writing to a local church, which means, by definition, he's writing to a people who claim to be in Christ. They claim to be followers of Christ. And they affirm one another to be followers of Christ. So we need to understand this letter. We need to understand these verses in this context. That's why Paul writes in verse 6, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, because he's addressing here, a people who claim to have received Christ. He's addressing people who believe themselves to be Christians. So this is a letter to the church. So reminding them, as we see in point number one, if you have received Christ Jesus, you are in Christ. If you have received Christ Jesus, you are in Christ. Paul's like, don't forget this. Don't don't take this for granted. Think about what it really means to be a follower of Christ. This is, as he writes in verse, beginning of verse 9, for in him, in him, him being Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's that's basically what we see here is what the therefore is there for in verse 6. Because he's reminding us of who Jesus is. He's basically pointing us back to everything that we've looked at in the previous chapter. He's saying, look at this. Be reminded of this. And now he's saying, and you, you church, have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You who were separate of God have now been filled in Christ Don't forget this. This is huge. And he says in verse 11, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Meaning a spiritual circumcision, not a spiritual circumcision, not a physical circumcision. Spiritual, not physical. By by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. We're going from self to Christ continually. This is what we see. Middle of verse 11, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumstances of Christ, and then we move into verse 12, where we're going to see the physical demonstration of this spiritual uh, circumcision, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through life in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So as we looked last week, Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead, 
we also can see here that because Christ rose from the dead, we who are in Christ will also rise. We have new life. This is looking back at our baptism. And then we see in verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and this uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. But you are dead no longer. How? Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's done. So just look at all these things listed here in the past tense. Just look at them all listed out. And this will make a great Bible study where, just, where you go home and you just start underlining all the past tense things. And, and I shared this with the first service too, where if, if, if you're not the person who, who underlines in your Bible, I don't think we can be friends, all right? And I'm not being serious there. I, I'm joking, but we will get you counseling um, on, on this. Like, underline it, write it, then buy another Bible. And, but just, I, don't, just, I love when, when I see Bibles that are just all written in, all those notes on the side, questions that you're marking out to the side, because it shows you're thinking, you're, you're wrestling with the Word. You're not just saying, oh, okay. You're, no, you're diving in deep and saying, what does this really mean? So anyway, what we see here, when we're looking at this, all the things that are written in the past tense, meaning they're already done, they're already accomplished, for those of us who are in Christ. Done. See, Paul wants the Colossians to be reminded that if they are truly in Christ, they are now alive in Christ. They're alive. You're alive. And this can't be undone. This is your true new identity. You, this isn't going to change. You can't be like in Christ and then all of a sudden not in Christ. You can't you cannot walk away from this. This is your new identity. That's why he uses the language of circumcision and baptism and death and life. And again, he's not talking about a physical circumcision here. He's talking about what has happened to our hearts spiritually. He's talking about the, this life change that has taken place. And this is why. This is why when, when we see here that what we see it's, he's using language such as this of life and death and, and uncircumcision and baptism. What he's doing, he, he's talking about our hearts. He's talking about the old, how the old is gone and the new has come. But it, what he's doing is he's setting the stage for this beautiful picture of baptism. He's setting the stage for the, the beautiful picture and display of, of baptism that, that's coming into play. And that's what we see here as he uses the language, this language to point and to show us that the, the powerful physical demonstration of the spiritual transformation that has taken place in our lives. And, I, and I'm even hesitant to use that language of, of physical demonstration uh, because there's so much more there. It does not do this justice of what baptism is actually communicating to a lost and dying world, what the baptism is communicating to the church. But let's be clear here. The, the act, the physical act of baptism does not save us. But this is what is taking place in the baptismal waters. And often we don't, we don't think about this, but this is what's taking place. Jesus is speaking to the believer. He's speaking to the assembled church, and he's speaking to, to the watching world, identifying the person being baptized with himself in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. And what you have in baptism is a picture. It's a picture of an execution. 
It's a picture of a drowning. Because what happens in baptism, in a biblical baptism, a person being baptized is, is immersed under the water. What happens when you're under the water? You cannot breathe. You, you are under the water. You cannot breathe. It can be a scary picture. And water is a picture of, of death and the grave and a picture of God's judgment. And this is biblically, this is what we see all through the scriptures. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 7. We see the flood. What is the flood? God is flooding the world. He is baptizing the world as 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us. He's covering the world as a means of his judgment. It's immersed. Then we flip on over. We see Jonah and Jonah being cast into the deep as a means of God's judgment. And then we see ultimately that the world will be baptized with fire as a means of God's judgment. So what we're doing in baptism is we are, are, are joining in, we are identifying ourselves as, as sinful people deserving of God's wrath. We are identifying, this, this is our confession. We are confessing we deserve God's judgment. When we stand in those baptismal waters, we are saying to the world, I deserve God's judgment for my sin. And then we as the church, Jesus speaking through his church, is coming and saying, yes, you are right. You deserve God's judgment. You deserve God's wrath. But, again, got to love the buts throughout the, about the scripture. But in baptism, we're also saying, I trust Jesus alone to save me from my death. I trust Jesus alone to save me from, from the judgment that I deserve. And in so doing, we're identifying ourselves with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Buried under the water, we are dead in our sin. No hope in our flesh whatsoever. There's nothing we can do to bring ourselves from death to life. But through faith alone in the powerful working of God, we are ripped up out of those baptismal waters, out of the grave, pointing to symbolizing that we are dead in our sin no more. We are now alive in Christ. And we want the whole world to know that we are alive in Christ. This is what we see. And then we as the church, the church, as we baptize, we're announcing and affirming to the world that the person being baptized is no longer a friend, but a brother and sister in Christ. They're no longer a friend. They're family. They're one of ours. They're one of ours. And this is why in the New Testament there are no unbaptized Christians anywhere in the Bible. None. This is why the ordinance, the act of baptism is so important. It's a summary of our faith. It's a confession of our sin and a picture of repentance. It's our profession of faith in Christ to the world. Not, not walking an aisle, not signing a card, not, not getting our name on a church roll as a, a part of many traditions. Our profession of faith is baptism. Baptism. And this is why it's the very first thing that Jesus commands of his followers, to go and to be baptized. And yet I have conversations with people all the time who profess to be Christians 
who profess to be followers of Christ and, and they've never been biblically baptized. And my question is always why? I, I want to know the heart of the matter. And the answers vary, but typically it all kind of stems back to some form of fear. Maybe they're, maybe they're older. Maybe they've been in the church a long time. Maybe, uh, maybe they're afraid of what people are going to think. Maybe they're afraid of being in front of people. Maybe uh, I've had people afraid of being uh, in the water. They're just afraid of water in general. And then a lot of times also it really kind of comes back to they've really never had anybody sit down and explain to them how important baptism is. They've been told that, that maybe that... Um, you know, baptism, it, it, you know, it's, it's not, it's not going to save you, so why do you really have to do it? And they don't really see the importance of it. Maybe they were sprinkled as a child, or maybe, the, you know, different things. They don't understand the importance of believers' baptism. And, and so what we do is we, we gather them together at a fellowship over at somebody's house and then they, with a pool, and when they're walking by the pool, we just kind of knock them right in. I joke. I ingest. Wish it was so easy, right? No, what we do is we sit down and we open up the Word together. We, we talk through this in more detail. We, we wrestle with the Scriptures. We, we, we deal with those fears. We answer questions. And we take as long as we need to. And you know what happens? The vast majority of folks, they say, I want to move forward with believer's baptism. And for those individuals who have had those fears, who have had those hesitancies, for them, th this is a time of great joy. And it actually, sometimes, most of the time, means more to them because they've wrestled with it. They've wrestled with the cost. They've wrestled with the fears. They've wrestled with the questions. They've thought it through. And they're like, I know what I'm doing here. And they want to unite with the church through a public profession of faith in baptism. They want the world to know that I was dead in my sin, but I am alive in Christ. And they want the world to know this. And what's funny is the same folks who were kind of timid, and I don't want to know if I want to do this, are the same ones who are now saying, I want my, my family to be there, I want my friends to be there, I want my neighbors to be there, I, I want my strangers to be there, I, I want everybody to, to, to be there. And then what happens? The world is now seeing everything we just looked at. They're seeing the gospel displayed through baptism. And then more questions come up from them. And, and what are we going to do? We get to share Christ over and over and over again. And I wish I could just keep talking about this, but it leads us to point number two. If you are in Christ, walk in Christ. If you are in Christ, walk in Christ. As verses 6 through 7 tell us, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So this is what Paul's doing here. He's pointing the Colossians back to the grace of God in truth. He's pointing them back to everything that they've looked at. He's, pointing, he's reminding them that everything that Epaphras had taught them, he's reminding them of the gospel. He's reminding them of their standing before God. He's reminding them of biblical truth. He, he's backing up and affirming this teaching, which is counter to the false teaching that is permeating throughout the culture and within the church at this point in time. He's countering this. Hey, don't buy into the false teaching. Here's the truth. Continue to hold fast to the truth. And this is why teaching is held in such high standard throughout Scripture. Because what's taught, 
What we learn about Jesus shows how, how we live, how we act, how, how, we, how we think, how we react, all these things that we've been talking about. How we do life, how we display Christ to a dying world. It, does, it details everything. You know, when you're having these conversations that stem from Tuesday's events, and you're having those conversations, are you reacting with emotion? Are you reacting with personal opinion? Or are you saying, this is what the Bible says in its proper context? Not just ripping some one verse out of, out of context. We say, no, this is what the Bible says. This is how I need to respond. This is how we need to be, to be living. So if we receive bad teaching, or even just milk teaching, like baby food is our spiritual diet, you know, think about that. Are, are we going to be rooted and built up in Christ? Are we going to be established in the faith? Are we going to be able to respond biblically in those situations? No, we're not. And what's going to happen is we're not going to faithfully walk with Christ like he's commanded in the scriptures. And we're going to find ourselves more susceptible to being deceived by false teachings, by plausible arguments like we looked at last week, by human philosophy, human traditions. And we're going to find ourselves in moments like, well, that guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He's making some really good points here. But are those points rooted in Scripture? Do they find their truth in Scripture? Or is he just a really good communicator, um, really good speaker or author? Because it can be deceiving. But if we make a diet of reading and studying the Scriptures... Like knowing it for what it really means. Listening to good teaching. Reading good books. Pushing ourselves to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. Taking that extra push. Setting that extra time aside. What's it going to do? It's going to help us to grow strong roots. It's going to help us to become more established in the faith. We're not going to be as easily deceived. We're not going to be so easily pushed when difficult times come around. We're going to be able to walk faithfully in Christ easier. And over the next, next week, we're going to look at this a little bit more in depth, but we have to keep moving. So point number three, if you are in Christ, don't. If you're in Christ, don't. And this is more like a series of don'ts. And they're not, not don'ts from a legalistic standpoint, like don't smoke, drink, or chew, or date girls who do. Uh, <laughs> kind of a motto from me growing up. Uh, you know, on that, you know, kind of deal, especially the chewing part. <laughs> not not, not going to work. But like, and I learned in the first service, this may kind of relate to where I'm from more so than many of you where you're from. But if you're from the Southern Christian culture, you're going to understand this. And if you've been immersed, like within the church your entire life, uh, you might understand this. But this is, this is not the, again, like the smoke, drink, or chew kind of thing, date girls who do. It's not... When you look at it and say, well, you better not listen to rock music or rap music uh, because that's of the devil. Uh, this is stuff I heard growing up, you know, even within the church at times. Uh, and, and, but what we, what we did is we created this like Christian subculture where you had like your secular bands and like, you had whatever it was from Green Day to Nirvana to whatever. And you had your country music artists. And, but if you had your, your bands over here, and then you would have your Christian alternative version. So if you like country music, hey, here's a nice country Christian artist for you. And if you, if you like rap music and you like hip-hop, hey, you better check out DC Talk because every good Christian listens to DC Talk because everybody got to be a Jesus freak, all right? And some of you are like, woo, 
No idea what he's talking about there. Again, I told you my Christian heritage of, of this. But it also is kind of that thing that we better not watch R-rated movies unless it's the Passion of the Christ and then you can get away with it. There better not be any dancing. You better not have any drums in the church because that's just liberalism all over its place right there. And with that... So uh, avoid all these things. You know, don't do this. Don't do that. Wear your Christian T-shirt. And the Christian T-shirts would be kind of like you couldn't like connect yourself with Abercrombie and Fitch. So it would be like a breadcrumb and fish uh, you know, on, on it. So you want to be a good moral Christian? Hey, there you go. Just, just do this stuff right here. But that's not the type of don'ts that Paul's referring to. That's legalism. That's not what he's referring to here. What he, the, the don'ts that he's referring to, it's more like, don't let bad teaching. Teaching that's not rooted in Scripture. Human traditions, like, like some of those that are not rooted in Scripture. Human philosophy, bad religion, anti-gospel practices. Don't let these things steer you away from the truth. Remember, if you are in Christ, you have the truth. You, you are alive in Christ. So don't, and we have three subpoints of don'ts that we're going to look at right here, all right? Don't be taken captive by. Number one, don't be taken captive by. As we see in verse 8, philosophy, an empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Clearly, there is, there is no end to the philosophy and deceit and traditions of this world. There's plentiful. There are always going to be people who believe if you want to be right with God, then you need to do blank and then fill in the blank. And if you want to be right with God, you better not do blank. Fill in the blank. We've all heard that, some way, shape, or form. And we've even believed it to ourselves in, in some way, shape, or form. And the, the reason is, is those are things that make us feel good about ourselves. They're things that we can measure. These are things that we can see. Like if I, if I read my Bible this many times a day, or I read my Bible every single day, and if I don't watch these shows and don't do these things, and if I help little ladies cross the road, then, then God's going to love me more. Or if I, you know, but if I don't, if I, if I don't go to church every Sunday, if I don't read my Bible every day, if I don't memorize all of Leviticus, then God is going to get me. It's not biblical. That's not what we see in Scripture. Neither of these ideas are rooted in biblical truth. They are forms of philosophy and human tradition that are not rooted in Christ. Again, our standing before God is not measured by what we have done. It's measured by what Christ has done. It's measured by what Christ has done. And it continues, sub-point number two, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you. And this isn't the often misquoted, misunderstood, judge not lest you be judged. On that, I would just let you go read Matthew chapter 7, kind of read it in its entirety, and, and kind of gain that in its own context. But we'll move forward. No, this is what we see in verse 16, in question of food and drink, with, or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. This is what he's saying. These, these are all a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Now remember, at this time and in this context, there was still a heavy Jewish influence that was permeating throughout the culture. And what you had were people, both Jews and Gentiles, saying, yeah, I'll, I'll take the gospel. Sure. <laughs> Grace, absolutely. 
But then at the same time, you know, advocating a number of Jewish traditions and observances as well. So kind of taking the grace, yeah, I'll take this, but also saying if you want to grow in your spiritual development, you want to become in, grow in your spiritual growth, and, then you need to also do these things, whether it be food laws, dietary laws, the festivals, whatever it may be, saying, well, you, you also have to do this. And in some cases saying it was uh, required for salvation. And in both instances, again, it's a distortion of the gospel. That's not what we see played out within the scriptures. As Paul says, these things, these things are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. See, old covenant observances pertaining to food, drink, festivals, all, etc. Were, were all put in place by God to point the people of God to a future reality. Always pointing towards the future. A future reality fulfilled in Christ. These laws were a standard for perfection and for holiness. You want to be right before God? Then you must obey the law perfectly. Not miss one thing. And you know how many people achieve that? None of us except Christ. Christ did. Thus, these are a shadow of the things to come. Because what does the shadow do? It's an image coming from something pointing to something or someone. It's an image coming from pointing to something or someone. It's just like we looked at last week. The Old Testament, Christ concealed. Shadow. New Testament, Christ revealed. Oh, now I get it. The shadow is pointing to Jesus. All these things are pointing to Jesus. Everything is fulfilled in the Old Testament. In, in the Old Testament, is fulfilled in Jesus. So sacrifices are no longer required because Jesus made peace. He fulfilled the law. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. He obeyed the law perfectly. And he paid the, all, paid all the legal demands for our sin by making peace by the blood of his cross. He did that. He was our substitute. So now, living this side of the cross, we as Christians are no longer under the Mosaic Covenant. We are no longer living under this law. We are no longer under the obligations of the Old Covenant because Christ fulfilled it perfectly. He did it perfectly. He served as our substitute. He did what we could never do. He stood in our place condemned. And because we are now in Christ, because we are identifying ourselves with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, because we are, we are putting our faith in Christ alone. Him alone. And because of this, we are no longer obligated to observe Old Testament dietary laws or festivals or holidays, etc., you can if you want, but you're not obligated to. It's not going to get you bonus points with God if you do. Because our standing before God isn't determined by what we do and don't do. Again, it's determined by what Christ has done. What was completed. Past tense. We are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Thus the reason Paul is over and over again pointing us to Christ 
over and over and over again. He's coming back to Christ because the substance belongs to Christ. Our freedom is found in Christ. Now, is that a reason to go on sinning so that grace may abound? Well, Paul addresses this in his other letters. By no means. By no means. And again, we're going to look at this more next week. So sub-point number three. Don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. As he continues in verse 18. Don't let disqualify you insisting on asceticism. Asceticism being kind of an extreme discipline, a removal uh, from your life of all indulgences and human pleasures. I'm kind of like uh, an Amish. Like I'm just going to remove myself from the world. Um, and it could even be like what I was referring to earlier of we're going to create our own Christian subculture. But in this case, it's just we're going to remove ourselves from everything we can. It'd be like the Amish monks, you know, that type of thing that we see there. He also says, don't disqualify yourself by, by be disqualified by worship of angels, which is like uh, praying to angels and asking them for protection over evil spirits. We don't pray to angels or, or, or saints or, or um, any other person uh, other than God the Father through Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't pray to anyone else other than that way. That, that's what Scripture is laying forth. Anything else? Human tradition that's put in place. It's the, the tradition of a, a, a church, religion, and not according to Scripture. And he goes on. Don't be disqualified about going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, the head being Christ. Paul saying, you just say, stay away from these things. Ignore these things. Don't buy into it. Don't practice it. Because if you do, it's going to bring you harm. It will bring you harm. It's either going to weaken your faith and your witness, which is bad enough, or it's going to steer you away from the truth altogether. It'll make you think that you're right with God because of what you do. Like, hey, look how holy I am. I've done all these things. I've got my a breadcrumb and fish shirt. I am good to go. And I go to church every single Sunday. Look how religious I am. But all you have is a false assurance. Because your confidence, your faith is, is not rooted in truth. It's not rooted in grace. It's not rooted in Christ alone. So as Paul writes in verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, Why? He himself asks, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, so they appear wise in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And that's a kicker right there. Because there will always be an indulgence of the flesh. At least the desire for the indulgence of the flesh. There will never be a time on this earth when we won't be tempted to sin. There will never be a, a, never be a time on this earth when we won't be tempted to indulge our fleshly desires. We all have them. We are people who wants what we want when we want it and we want what we want right now. We, we, we can see that come out in our little children and, and they don't have the restraint to hold that in. They just want it and they just cry for it. They, desire, they want it instantaneously. But we as adults are the same way. We just kind of hold it in a little bit tighter. But we still have that desire to indulge our flesh. Now our temptations may, may change. They may be evolving over time. But, but they're not going anywhere. 
We're always going to have them. We're, we're not going to overcome them by, to, or, or stop them completely by just removing ourselves from the world. It's not going to happen. Or by just avoiding certain foods or fo- avoiding certain drinks or by simply practicing human traditions. It's not going to be enough to overcome the indulgence of the flesh. Because our desire to indulge the flesh is a heart issue. This is a matter of the heart. Now, you can pluck out your eyes and you can cut off your hands, but it's not going to change your heart, is it? It's not. Now, if plucking out your eyes and cutting off your hands is going to keep you from sinning, Jesus says, pluck them out and cut them off. Because it would be better for you to go into heaven without your eyes and without your hands. Uh, that's forgetting the whole glorification thing. But anyway, it's, you, you get the picture. If it's going to help you not sin, then do it. But... Better than, than going into hell with, with, with all your members. Paraphrased version. But you can remove your eyes. And you can cut off your hands. And you can move, remove your TVs and your computers. And avoid every food and drink under the sun. But it's not going to change your heart. And it's not going to remove those images from your mind. It's not going to rem- remove that desire to indulge your flesh. Thus the reason we must daily look to Jesus. We must continually look to Jesus, remembering who Christ is, remembering what He's done, remembering who we are in Him, that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. This is why when you hear me say, preach the gospel to yourself daily, this is what I'm telling you, we have to be reminded of this. Just because we, we have a, a, a small lapse into sin for a particular season doesn't does mean we need to beat ourselves up over it. We need to repent and we need to move towards Christ. We need to move towards Christ. Wherever you find yourself, stop, repent, turn to Christ, and focus on the gospel. Keep looking to Christ over and over and over again. Remember, if you are in Christ, we are no longer dead in our sin. Sin no longer has dominion over our lives. Does that mean we will never sin? No. But we continue to look to Christ. We continue to look to Christ because if we are in Christ, we are alive in Christ and we're going to desire Him. Thus the reason Paul is reminding the Colossians, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Look to Christ. 